Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, this time and this place that you've granted us. Um, it's, not, it's not our place. It's not our building. It's yours. And it's, it's not our time. It's, it's, it's yours. But you, you have granted it um, to us that we, would, that we would be wise with it, that we would make much of you. And so that is my desire today, that we, Lord, would make much of this time, make much of this place by making much of you, that, that you would be pleased with us today, that, that the thoughts in our minds, the meditations of our hearts, the words that come out of our mouths, the actions of our bodies, that they would, they would, honor, they would honor you. So I pray, Father, that you would direct and guide us, um, not just this morning while we're here, but, but always, that we would seek to live such lives that constantly, that consistently um, honor and, and glorify you. We need you in us and through us to do that. And so I pray, Lord, that you, you would do that. It is the desire of my heart. Lord, I also just ask that you would speak to us today through your word. We, we need to, to hear from you. Um, so I pray that you would, that you would speak, Lord, that you would, you would use me just as your mouthpiece to proclaim the truths of your word to your people for their good, ultimately for your glory, but we understand that that's also for, for our good, that you might make us more like Christ, that you would continue the sanctifying process in our lives. So we ask that you do that. Jesus, we thank you um, again for, for who you are, for what you've done, and for what you, you're doing. We pray that you would continue your work in our lives, either until you call us home or until you return. It is in your name and for your sake we pray. Amen. Well, we are going to continue our study in Acts this morning. Um, so if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We are going to pick up in verse, um, really we're going to pick up in verse 14, but I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read prior to that. So let's just turn there to Acts. Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to, I'm going to, reading 12. While you're turning there, um, my, my title, I don't have an outline back there for you, but I will kind of give you my outline this morning. It's really going to be kind of a two-part a two part uh, series or sermon. Um, so I've titled it, Randy, I, I titled it just for Randy because he likes to use these, these, these words and stuff like this, but Peter's pattern for preaching. So see how Randy does that. And so um, anyway, Peter's, Peter's pattern for preaching. See, I can't even say it. And really what we have in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41, is we have the first sermon of the church, right? I mean, that's, that's really what we have. Uh, we have recorded the first sermon of the church. I mean, recall from last week, right? I mean, the, the Holy Spirit just showed up on the scene, right? We talked about the baptizing of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then we have Peter comes out and he, and he gives this, this sermon. And so today we're going we're gonna to look at the first half of this sermon, um, which is really the introduction of, of the sermon, but we're going to look at the first half today, which is verses um, 14 through 21. And then next time, whenever that is, um, we're going to look at the second half, which is verses 22 through um, 
41. So just to kind of give you an idea of where we're going. And so, so the outline for today, Peter's pattern for preaching is, is three points, okay? Um, and then I'm going to read. Um, is, is one is bold and unashamed. So we're going to see that in, in Peter as he preaches, that he preaches boldly, he, he preaches with authority, and he preaches unashamedly. Um, the next one is that we see that his, his preaching is, is uh, scripturally based, right? And the third point is that it's uh, gospel Centric. I don't know if that's a word or not. I hyphenated it. I, I think it is. But gospel-centric preaching, okay? So it's bold, unashamed preaching. It's, it's, it's scripturally based or biblically based. I, I, I struggled. I put exegetical in there. If I was really trying to honor Randy, I would have had a P for each one of those points. But I, I, my mind doesn't work that way. I couldn't do it. I struggled. And then the last one is gospel, uh, gospel-centric. But let's, uh, let's read from 12. And I'm going to actually read from 12 to 41, even though our, our bulk of our text today is 14 through 41. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Therefore, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So again, thinking back to last Sunday, right, and dealing with this first point that his preaching was bold and unashamed, but thinking back to last Sunday, we talked about, again, the, the, the really... The first baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? When the Holy Spirit was, was given in, in, in Acts. And then we talked about the filling of the Holy Spirit and the speaking in, in the foreign languages. And again, it has here in verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, or others mocking said they, they are filled with, with new wine, right? Now, we know that there were those present that day that were, and Darren and I talked about this last week, that, that were still, um, that were hostile Right um, um, toward God, they were hostile towards Christ. They were hostile towards these 120. They were they were naysayers. They they were doubters. There was there was maybe nothing that could be said or nothing that they could witness or be done for them to believe. So as these 120 are, are speaking this morning of Pentecost in these foreign languages, they simply dismiss it as though they're they're drunk. Right? We can't explain it. They're speaking in foreign languages, or it sounds as though they're speaking in foreign languages, right? And so the obvious solution is they're, they're, they're drunk with, with new wine, and they're, they're probably just making it up. They're, they just sound like they're speaking in these, these languages, right? So here we have Peter, who, think about Peter, who, who some 50-ish days prior, right, um, denies Christ three times, okay, now stands before thousands of people to boldly, right, unashamedly, right, with seriousness and yet authority, ultimately proclaim the gospel. We understand that, that Peter doing this, right, was a result of the empowering, the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't Peter who was performing. It's a great sermon, right? And I look forward to next time because next time we really get to dive into Christ, okay? Um, but really just a fantastic sermon. And in fact, throughout Acts, we're going to get to jump into and, and examine several sermons that are just some of the best sermons you will ever hear and none of those men get credit um, for those sermons. I think my favorite one in Acts is probably, I don't know, Stephen, maybe? I don't know. It's one of those where I'll probably say that about every sermon I get to, right? But, but they don't get the credit. Now, now, Peter, when he denied Christ, right, when he got it wrong, he gets the credit for that, right? So same as for us. When we get it wrong, we get the credit for that, right? But when we get it right, we get no credit. Christ gets 
the credit. And so Peter and, and the 11 are here, and it's, it's important that, that they are together because, because as apostles, right, and witnesses of the resurrection, um, really witnesses of the, the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, they have authority. And so Peter's here with the other 11, right? Remember back the first part of Acts, Matthias, he was included in that, speaking with authority, right? Ultimately begins by confronting and or refuting those who are the naysayers, right? Those who are the doubters, the accusers, saying that these guys are crazy, right? They're, they're, they're drunk. It says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. He said, men of Judea and all and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now, now it is interesting, and you will find this in Acts as we examine more of these sermons. They usually start like this. They usually start with a refutation or a, or a confrontation of, of error. All right? But Peter says, says they're not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. It's about 9 a.m. All right, so I'm trying to put this in a context that we would we would probably understand, right? Okay, so if it was if it was New Year's Eve, right? People were doing crazy stuff, you know, in our culture. It'd be easy to be like they're 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 drunk. I mean, it's New Year's Eve. People are out there. They're drinking. They're they're they're, they're being idiots. That's what they do, right? Peter's saying it's 9 a.m. on the day of Pentecost. It'd be like Christmas morning. Like who gets drunk on Christmas morning? I mean, that's kind of what Peter's saying. Uh, uh, really, you're accusing them of being being drunk, they haven't been eating, okay? In fact, they're not going to eat until tonight. Thus, they haven't been drinking. And it's 9 a.m. on the day of Pentecost. Really? No, they're not drunk, right? So he begins with this, this refutation, right? He confronts their error. But here's what's important. We talk about Peter's pattern for preaching, all right? I mean, he's bold. He's unashamed. He speaks authoritatively, but it's not him that has the authority. It's God and his word who has the authority, he confronts their error, but he doesn't base it on his own authority. I mean, he could say, listen, I, I am Peter, right? I'm an apostle who, who's been with Christ from the very beginning, right? I, I witnessed his, his miracles in this life, right? His preaching and his teaching. I, we'll just skip the whole crucifixion part, but I was, I was here when he was resurrected, Right? I, I witnessed his ascension. Heck, I'm, I'm the, the, the leader, if you will, of, of the church. I have authority. Listen, listen to me. I mean, I, mean I, I think that, I mean, he probably could have done that as an apostle, and yes, has that authority. But, but he doesn't base his refutation of this false proclamation of being drunk, okay? We could have, I mean, it could have been false doctrine, whatever it is. He doesn't base it on his own authority, but on, on God's. Uh, let's look real quick at, 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 on God's word. Let's look at uh, uh, 2 Timothy. Now, we understand that all of this is happening. You know, Peter's doing this before Paul ever wrote Timothy. At this point, Paul is lost as the day is long, but it doesn't matter. God's working it all out, right? And his truths are his truths, and they are eternal truths. So, so 2 Timothy even applies to Peter prior to 2 Timothy ever even being written, right? Because God's truths are 
eternal. All right, 2 Timothy 3. Peter knows this. Chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verse 15. We know this is Paul talking to Timothy, but it applied to Peter. It applies to us. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Actually talk about the Old Testament, okay? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the, the Old Testament is sufficient to make one wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Which is in part what Peter is doing here. Now he's going to get to Christ in the body of his sermon. But he actually gets to Christ in this introduction dealing with the Old Testament. Going on though, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, okay? For reproof, which is like rebuke, okay? For correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, or may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, Peter knows that God's word... Right, And he's dealing with the Old Testament here. But he knows that God's word is, is what? It's profitable. It's, it's authoritative. It's sufficient for reproof and for correction. And so as he's confronting this, this error, that, that, this accusations that these men are making, hey, look, they're, they're drunk, right? He doesn't appeal to them on the basis of his own authority, but he appeals to them on the basis of God's word. So he says, you're wrong. And that's what he says. These men aren't drunk. He says, you're wrong, right? But then he says, but, but don't, take, don't take my word for it. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. You're wrong. Since it's only the third hour of the day. This is where in verse 16 he says, but don't take my word for it. He says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, first, before we look at that, what, what a pattern that we as believers must follow. I mean, I mean, as, as pastor, teachers, all right? Um, yes, I mean, that, that's, we, it's, a, it's a pattern that we must follow, right? Um, that we appeal to you, not on the basis of our own authority, as if we really had some authority, right? But we appeal to you on the basis of God's authority, on the basis of God's word. Right? This, is, this is the truth. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. But, but don't take my, my word for it. Right? Let's see what God has to say about that. We kind of use that as an example in, in our equipping hour this morning, dealing with the issue of sexual sin. And you can just open that up to whatever sexual sin you know, might be. Right? I mean, you could, you could name something. It was wrong. I'll tell you right now it's wrong. It's unnatural. It's harmful. It's harmful to the individual. It's harmful to society. It in no way is, is beneficial. It's an inversion of, of God's created order. It's a perversion of this. It's an, a, perver- a perversion of that. It's not sufficient as a believer when we're proclaiming truth or we're confronting error. It's not sufficient just to say, well, it's unnatural. It's wrong. It's not right. End of discussion, right? When we do that, we have to make that appeal, not on the basis of our authority, but on the basis of God's authority. It's, it's wrong, but not because I think it's wrong, but it's wrong because God says it's wrong. And, and the reality is that as, as we do this, be it through preaching or teaching or 
just hashing these issues out with neighbors or family members or coworkers or, or whatever. The reality is this. It is sufficient on one hand to, to say it's wrong because God says it's wrong and that's, that's the end of the story. All right? Because that's true. Right? I mean, you know, it's, it's that whole God said it, that settles it kind of thing. Right? I mean, so, so that, is, that is true. Okay? But yet, as we engage, um, even believers, for the sake of sanctification and growth, or, or unbelievers, for the desire to, to, to see them saved, as we engage others in these conversations and we appeal to them on the basis of, of God's authority, right? Let's take the time and make the effort to explain, which is what we do when we seek to teach and preach, to explain why. Why is, and I'm not going to go into it to the, the depth that I did this morning in the class, but why is, why is the sexual sin wrong? I mean, why does God say that, that um, a guy and a girl shouldn't, shouldn't be involved sexually outside of marriage? Why they shouldn't cohabitate together? Why they shouldn't pretend to be married? Right? He says it's wrong. That's sufficient. But let's talk about what marriage is, right, and the purpose of marriage and what it's to reflect, right? So, again, we, we make that appeal on the basis of God's word, right? And, and then we go, you know, beyond that, and we explain why. Why, why did God design it so? Because it's for a purpose, right? Marriage between a man and a woman, right, was, I mean, yes, for a procreative purpose, right? But there's also even a, a spiritual purpose beyond that. And it's the picture of what marriage should be, which is Christ and his church. And so we go into that, right? And we take that opportunity to go, go in to that, right? And, and in that case, we could say it's confronting error. And when we confront error, we do that. But even when we're just proclaiming truth, you know, even if I'm teaching a class on the deity of Christ and, you know, I, I make the claim that Jesus is God, Jesus is God, that settles it. It is. But let's dive into scripture and, and talk about, okay, um, not just the text that points to the reality that Jesus is God, right? Because in the Old Testament, right, the Old Testament proclaims that the coming Messiah would, in fact, be divine, right? So it was proclaimed in the Old Testament, right? It was realized, his deity in the New Testament, but even beyond that, necessary for salvation, you know? So, so we want to make that, th- those efforts and take that time to not just simply make the claim, right? We make the claim, we base it on God's authority, and then we, we dig in, we dig in from there. All right. So in this, this, this really, again, this is an introduction, um, what we're looking at today, verse, verses 17 through 21 as... as um, Peter is appealing to them based on Joel is really an introduction, is ultimately leading to Christ, an introduction for, for this sermon. And I'm going to go ahead and, and, and read this for you. And it's, it mirrors almost identically um, Joel uh, uh, 2, 28 through 32. Of course, Peter would have been familiar with it from the Septuagint. And so um, that's, that's really what it, what it mirrors. But, but if you look in your ESV or read your ESV, Joel, 20, um, sorry, Joel 2, 28 through 32 is almost identical to what Peter quotes here. He says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above. Signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the, the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. It's going to be an awful day. 
um, great and magnificent and awful day as well, right? Um, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, Peter's sermon, right, is based on the truth and authority of God's word. And God's word is preached, and we're going to see that in his sermon, not just today, but next. I'm supposed to preach next month, but I'm going to be out the first Sunday Surprise, Randy, I won't be here. Um, but, but the next time I preach, right, we're going to see that as well, that Peter is preaching God's word and not man's word. Really, Peter's whole sermon, I think, makes the case for expository preaching. That's what we see him do. Now, listen, we just have a glimpse, because it even says down towards uh, the end of this passage, down in the 30-whatever-ish verse, right, that Peter had much more to say than this, all right? So we just kind of get the, the cliff's notes, the highlights, right? But what we see from this is Peter's explaining what has happened, what is happening based on Scripture, okay? He's expositing Scripture. Let's look at Second Timothy. Go back there. We're actually going to continue now in, in chapter 4. So Second uh, Timothy 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through um, 5, which again is Paul's charge to Timothy to preach the word. Peter had the same charge. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Again, as we, as we go through Peter's, Peter's pattern for preaching, again, his preaching was what? It was scripturally based. It was exegetical. He was preaching the word. Here we have the first sermon of the church, right? I mean, Holy Spirit just arrived, right? So, so I think we can be confident in saying it really was the first sermon of the church, okay? I mean, uh, Jesus... Yes, he preached sermon, kind of an intertestamental, I mean, depending on how you want to classify it, right? But if we want to talk about the church, this is really the church. I mean, were they the church prior to the filling and the coming of the Holy Spirit? I mean, not, not really. They were, they were believers. They were together, but they weren't officially the church until they were filled by the Holy Spirit because the filling of the Holy Spirit, again, was what put people into the church. So here we have the first sermon that was ever preached, right, in the church, for the church, right? And what do we have? We have preaching of the word, right? Expositional preaching. There, there was a quote. Now, now this, this, this quote I'm going to read to you is contrary. I had to save it on my phone. Contrary, okay, to, to, to Peter's preaching here. This is from a, a, a pastor. Oh, he's not really a pastor. He thinks he is. The fellow says, uh, 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 Andy Stanley um, uh, uh, out of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, in an interview just, I think, recently, uh, said this. Uh, he was asked by, um, I can't even think of the guy's name, but the guy from Lifeway or whatever, asked him about expository preaching. You know, and, and Stanley said, guys that preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, that is just cheating. It's cheating because that would be easy, first of all. Um, that isn't how you grow people. 
No one in Scripture modeled that. I read that this week, and I'm like, what? Peter, have you, have you, what Bible are you using? Peter models that. He confronts error, and he says, hey, what was it the prophet Joel said? And he goes through it, and he explains it. And then he starts talking about Jesus, and he says, oh, yeah, David, Psalms, right? It's what Peter's doing. And Stanley says, no one in the Scripture modeled that. There's not one example of that. See, what happens in our churchy society today, and in many churches, I'm using these terms loosely, but, but what happens is the, the, the pastor, preacher, using terms loosely, they say, you know what? I want to preach about X. You know, I'm preaching next Sunday, and I think I'd like to preach about whatever. So in their mind, they start thinking about what they want to say, right? And then they're going to find a verse or two to throw in to support their premise. You know, maybe you've, maybe you've been in a church. I, I, we used to attend a church that was like that. And it was, it was evident. Pastor would get up. He was talking about whatever he wanted to talk about. Every once in a while, he'd throw in a verse just to make it sound biblical. Even if what he was saying was true, he wasn't basing it on the Scripture. He was using the Scripture to support him. He wasn't actually using words to, to explain the Scripture. Um, listen, we don't... This is important, and I'll try to explain it. Hopefully it makes sense. We don't use Scripture to explain our words, but we use words to explain Scripture. See, Scripture is to be our starting point, heck, our ending point, and our everything in between point. Okay? When, when Randy and I, when, when we study to teach or we study to preach, okay, one, it's, it's easy when we're going you know, uh, book by book or verse by verse in a book okay, because I don't have to determine what subject or topic I'm going to preach next week because it's here. Next time it's going to be Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 41. So God already decided it for me. So I don't in my mind have to think about what is it that I want to talk to the church about next week, right? It's, it's here in these verses. So these verses are my starting point. And I dive into those verses, and Randy dives into those verses, right? And we study the, the text. We, we, there's so much more that we, we study and we learn and we know than we ever pour out to you guys on, on a Sunday morning. I mean, if, if we tried to convey everything to you that we've studied about these texts, we'd never get finished. We'd never move on to the next chapter. It'd be just Sunday after Sunday after, after Sunday, okay? Um, but we, but we, we do that. We allow Scripture to guide us. We allow Scripture to lead us. And then we know sometimes we do have to address topical issues, right? So I'm not saying that topical's always bad. But even from an expositional standpoint, when we, when we dive into a topical issue, let's use sexual sin because I used it as an example in the Sunday school class. I used it a minute ago. Let's say for some reason uh, the issue of sexual sin needs to be addressed in this church. What I'm not going to do is sit at home and I'm going to make bullet points. All right, sexual sin is harmful. Uh, physically it is. I mean, it can definitely, well, it can be harmful physically and that can ruin your life in some ways. So I'm gonna, that's a point. I'm going to talk about that. Um, it, it can be psychologically damaging to, to individuals engaged in it, especially if they have children. I mean, all this is true, but, but, you know, and so I go through and I do all this and then I just need to find a verse to throw in there and I'm going to throw that verse in there and then voila, it's a biblical sermon and we're good to go. That's not how it works. Okay. How it works is this. If, if sexual sin needs to be addressed in the church, what I'm going to do 
Because I'm not going to start with bullet points in my mind. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to go to 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to go, with, I'm going to, go to Matthew. Okay? I'm going to go into the passages that deal with husbands and wives and God's design for sex within marriage. I'm going to go to those passages, and I'm going to dig into them. Right? This is topical, okay? but it's also expositional because I'm going to dig into those passages, and I'm going to let God say what God says about this issue, and then I'm going to try my best Right, God through me, Lord willing, right, to pour that back out to you. This is, this is what Peter is modeling for us. See, our preaching and our teaching must be driven by and saturated with Scripture. Okay, even even as 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 believers confronting lost and dying world around us, as we confront unbelievers with the truths of God's word, right? Our speech, right? Our, 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 our dialogue has to be saturated and driven by and with Scripture. And that doesn't mean as we're preaching and teaching, it doesn't mean that every other, every other sentence is a Bible verse, right? But it means that what we're talking about is maybe explaining what was happening, what was going on. I know sometimes when we preach, we might have two dozen verses, Randy, that we use as references throughout the sermon. You know, today I think I've got like four or five, and that's it, right? Um, uh, but again, the, the point is that, that we're being driven by Scripture. It's saturated with Scripture to the extent that that's what we're talking about. That's what's driving it. Okay, so Peter, I'm, just, I'm, I'm going through these points again just to keep me on track. Um, Again, he's, he's bold, unashamed, speaking with, with authority, again, because that wasn't him, right? It was, it was the Holy Spirit in him and through him doing it, right? We see that, that the next pattern for preaching, it was, it was scripturally based. It was expositional. He was being driven by Joel. The last point is, at least for today's sermon, is that it was gospel-centric. Go back to Acts 2. Um, again, he starts off this sermon by, by confronting their error. They say, hey, they're drunk. And he says, these people aren't drunk. Right? But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter was primarily preaching. So there's a little, little difference here between like even what's going on this morning. Okay? Peter was primarily preaching um, to unregenerate Jews. All right? I mean, even all the way back up into verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, said they're filled with new, new wine. So, so I, you know, when the 120 were, were speaking in these foreign languages, right, as we discussed last week, was a gift, right, a, a, a temporal gift. As, as they were speaking in the foreign languages, right, um, it wasn't just simply, and this is prior to Peter's preaching, um, and, and I'm filling in, I'm filling in some blanks here, okay? And I think it's just evident by this. I, I, they were, they were, they were preaching the gospel in those foreign languages before Peter ever got up and, and spoke, okay? Um, I don't think it was just simply. No, I used the example last week. Peter was speaking German, right? Well, it wasn't German he was speaking, but I'm using that as an example. I don't think he was just like, ah, guten tag, how's the weather over there in Germany? Everything been going good, kind of thing. No, right? 
I mean, th- there's no doubt in my mind that as they were, ha- had been filled by the Holy Spirit, now, now gifted and driven by the Holy Spirit to speak languages that they didn't understand, right? There is no doubt in my mind that, n- that, that, that Christ was completely and totally pouring out of their mouths. That's what they were proclaiming. And as a result, many were being saved. I believe, it doesn't say this in the text, but I believe even prior to Peter's sermon, okay, many were being saved. At least hearts were being opened. Mine were being open, opened, right? Um, I, I got to stop and think where I was going with that. Um, I have no idea, so that's okay. Um, but, but, but his sermon, okay, again, is gospel? Oh yeah, now I know where I was. Um, gospel centric, primarily again preaching to unregenerate Jews. Again, we would we would equate them with false converts. Okay, I mean these Jews, those who were saying you have new wine. Think of the Pharisees, right? They thought they were in. I mean, in their minds, they were they were they were Old Testament saints. They they were in. They were believers, right? what we would consider believers, right? Equating that today with, with false converts in the church. And so Peter uses, right, again, the authority of God, the authority of Scripture, using the prophet Joel and their familiarity of Scripture to refute their false assertions about what had just happened. They thought they were in. They thought they were good. And so here he uses the Word of God and what they think they know about the Word of God to confront their error, and to proclaim truth. Now, Peter says what had just happened, okay? And here's what he's saying by, by quoting Joel. What you have just witnessed with the speaking of these languages, which are foreign languages, by people that don't know them, what you've just witnessed, what you are witnessing is in part a fulfillment of what Joel prophesied about. Now, now this prophecy, and we're not getting into this today because this isn't Peter's point, but a lot of this that Joel covers here, um, he's talking about things that have yet to come, even for us, like yet to come to them and yet to come to us. Some of this uh, uh, prophecy is not going to be fulfilled um, uh, until um, the return of Christ or the events surrounding the return of Christ. Now, if I was preaching through Joel, we we would talk about that. If I was preaching a sermon on eschatology or going through a series on eschatology and end time stuff, we would talk about the, these other things that Joel or that Peter quotes in Joel. Okay, but that wasn't Peter's point in quoting this or quoting Joel. Peter's point in part in quoting Joel was to say, "You're saying they're drunk." But you know what Joel says? Joel says this is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It, it's 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 here. It's, it's now, which in part is also proclaiming a couple things. For Peter to proclaim that what they have just witnessed is a fulfillment of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit in Joel, he's also proclaiming to them that they are now in the Messianic age. That they are now, in fact, in the last days. The Messiah has, has come. That's what, that's what Peter was proclaiming to them through Joel, because they knew that, right? The, 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 the studied Jew um, would, have, would have understood that, that once God poured out his spirit, they would have understood that the Messiah had already come, right? 
they would have understood that they were now in the last days and that the judgment of God was, was right around the corner. Right? So it wasn't just a simple proclamation that Peter was making that the Holy Spirit had come according to Joel, but, but the Messiah had, had come. And you're now living in this, this new age, right? And you're living in the last days and God has now poured out his spirit. In fact, we are living in the same days that, that they are, right? Um, we're living between two advents, right? The first and the second coming of, of Christ. We are living in, we could say, the messianic age. We are living in the last days. And God's, God's excuse me, God's judgment is, is imminent. It's right around the corner. And that's why I say, you know, um, it, it just as, as Peter quotes Joel, right? Um, he says, before the day of the Lord comes, talking about judgment, final judgment, the great and magnificent day. I mean, it, listen, it, it's for those who are in Christ, it is a great and magnificent day, right? For those who are not in Christ, it is a awful day. It is an awesome day. It is a dreadful, frightful day day. Again, so Peter's point in, in this, this, again, this is just the introduction ultimately to, to his sermon. His, his point in this was, it's kind of, kind of multifaceted here. Um, one, it was to refute, right, their false assertion about them being drunk. Right. More than that, it was to use in part the Old Testament to proclaim Jesus as, as Lord. And we see that more specifically, and we'll see that more specifically more specifically next time. But Peter proclaims in verse 20 by quoting Joel, he proclaims coming judgment. And then in verse 21 he says, And it shall come to pass, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now listen, I, going back to Joel and, and in the Old Testament mind, back when, you know, Joel would have, when, when all of this would have been penned, okay? I, I, I don't know, um, when they understood Lord, I don't know, I would have assumed they would have just thought God, right, Yahweh. Um, but when Peter quoted Joel in this context. And, and those who made these accusations, the Jews who were there, they knew what Peter meant, okay? When Peter said, those who call, the, call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Peter was, not, not implicitly, okay, but Peter was explicitly or explicitly saying this, all who... I add, through repentance and faith, and it gets to that here later on in the sermon, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Messiah, will be saved. What Peter says to them, and what they, they know, I'm not saying they agree with this, they believe it, but what Peter's saying through this Old Testament text, right, is all who call upon Jesus will be saved. What Peter's saying is what Joel proclaimed was that Christ is Lord. That's what we get in this text in Joel, that Christ is, Christ is Lord, and all who call upon him shall be saved. So again, Peter's, Peter's point in quoting Joel wasn't just simply to refute 
these, these false allegations. But his, his greater point was to get to Christ and to proclaim Christ as Lord and to say that Joel, in fact, proclaimed Christ as Lord. And let me tell you what, that's the truth. Joel, right, though his understanding while he lived um, was, was limited, right, the prophet Joel now is with the Lord, proclaiming Christ as Lord. The ultimate goal in preaching and teaching. This is, this is the last I'm ending here. Um, I said that it was gospel-centric. The ultimate goal in preaching and in teaching and in talking with our friends and our families, our, our loved ones, strangers on the street, the ultimate goal is to get to Christ. We, we don't always get there, okay? Um, we try. Um, sometimes it might take several sermons to get to Christ. We might be talking about something and we're leading up to it. Um, and, but he's the, he's the, he's the apex. Um, he's he's the, 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 the point of it all. It's to get to Christ. Let's read 1 Corinthians, and then I'm going to pray. 1 Corinthians 1, 21, 24. I'm going to read 18 through 24. So again, before, before, uh, before Paul ever wrote this, Peter, Peter knew it, lived it, proclaimed it. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It, was, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Here we go. But we preach what? Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. If, if, if someone's preaching and teaching, if the point of someone's preaching and teaching isn't, isn't Christ, even if they're in Scripture, I mean, even if they're quoting Scripture, even if they're talking about things that are true, if the point isn't Christ, then they're nothing but noisy gongs. As you engage the world around you, if, if you're not talking about Christ, if you're not at least trying to get to Christ, then what's the point? It's just wasted breath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, I know my mind uh, is, is just is just swimming and, and flooded and, and with with the truths of your word as I try to even now after having studied this week and, and and going through this with the church just thinking about these these truths and how to um, just how to apply them to my life and how to apply them in the context of of, of this church. I mean, it's it's my desire that I would do that personally. It's my desire that we as individuals would do that as well. I know we we're talking about Peter's pattern for preaching and we, we went through these things about being bold and 
and and and making sure that that when we preach and teach that 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 it is expositional or that it's focused or centered on 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 your word and that it's that that it's gospel centric but but that doesn't stop with Randy and and me and others who teach in the church or or who preach God, but all these truths are, are for us as individuals because the reality is, is we live in a world where people are going to ask, people want to know, where we're commanded to go out and proclaim the gospel. And as, as we do that in our own lives individually, we, 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 we must do so boldly, unashamedly with authority. And we understand that that's the Holy Spirit in us. It needs to be the Holy Spirit in us and through us doing that. And so we pray, God, that you would do that in us and, and through us. We know that as we confront error in the world around us that, that we have to do so on the basis of your word and on the basis of your authority, not on ours, because we don't have any authority. And so I pray, God, you would empower us to do that. And ultimately, Lord, it's, it's, it's all about Christ. Jesus, it, it, it is all about you. If, if, if it's not, if, if we don't place you at the center of, of everything in our lives, then then really it's all for not. It's all for, for it's, it's just a waste. But the thing is, God, is I know we, we need you. I, I do anyway, and, and I would say all of us do. We need you in us and through us, us doing these things, accomplishing these things. We, we are incapable in and of ourselves to be bold, to be faithful to your word, to proclaim Christ. And so I pray, God, that you would do that in us and through us. You would do it again for your glory. You would do it for the sake of your church, the sanctification of your bride, and that you would do it for the salvation of the lost. Jesus, oh, we love you. Um, your love is, it's really incomprehensible. Um, it is amazing. It's in your name, for your sake we pray.